we just did a round of introductions before this, which makes me happy because we get to practice again. Um, but uh, here we have a panel on how to diversify the tech pipeline. Right? Um, the whole name is problematic and we can talk about why. Um, but before we get into that, I think we owe it to everyone that's going to log in just to start off with some background, learn about why we do what we do, why this panel is important to us and how it's shaped the companies that we're leading. Right? Um, <clears throat> we could just go down the line, probably start again with Tiffany, then Andrea, and then David. Um, and then we can get right into the question and just a quick background serving as the Alco CEO. Um, Alco uh, runs a four week program that trains job seeking software engineers on the computer science fundamentals and emotional intelligence skills they need to pass interviews. We've had 1,900 clients about 1,450 of them have jobs in the tech industry, anywhere from big tech, Google, Facebook, Airbnb, down to your medium-sized companies, even startups. Uh, we've been around for five years, and right now our staff's at a size of 54 people. Uh, very proud of the fact that we pushed this balance agenda um, as a counter to what we see in the tech industry, which is um, traditionally white male um, dominated um, staff. And so we're actively pushing against that, against that at all times, but also we do so with our clients. We try to find ways to make sure that we're representing black and brown communities, LGBTQIA communities, differently abled communities, um, and also pushing uh, the battle on breaking down the sexism that exists in all of tech. Uh, so a little bit about Alco. Um, y'all can ask me questions about me later because you all know me, I know you all, but Tiffany, kick off with some intros. Great, thank you, Josh. Good evening, everyone. My name is Tiffany Shumate. I am currently the executive director at Hack the Hood in Oakland. Uh, Hack the Hood is a small social profit that's been around since 2013. So we are in our seventh year in the Bay Area. And historically, we've run introductory uh, technology boot camps and workshops for young people ages 16 to 25. Um, usually those alumni have gone on to create websites for small business owners. So part of the work that we do as well is partnering with Bay Area small business owners and helping them really increase their digital footprints uh, and utilize data analytics and other um, sort of digital resources to boost their businesses. <clears throat> In terms of my background, I have been an education tech um, specifically now going on about three years. Uh, I started my career in sort of this transition at Black Girls Code as their regional director, and then spent some time at AI for All, um, which is an organization committed to increasing diversity in artificial intelligence, which is also based here in Oakland. Uh, prior to education tech, I spent time in education as a teacher in college access. Uh, I worked in recruiting at the college level. I recruited for a women's college back east, uh, as well as worked with a number of um, college access organizations like Posse, uh, the Posse Foundation back east, and that's also nationally, as well as um, organizations like Citizen Schools. Really excited for this conversation. Uh, really excited to talk about what it means to create diverse pathways for folks coming into this space. But I really want to talk about the responsibility of the companies and organizations receiving them as well. Good to be here. Thanks, Appreciate you, Tiffany. Andrea. Hola, Josh and everybody. Um, my name is Andrea Wendelman, and I'm the co-founder of a company called Wellbreakers which is um, basically a training and software company that does skills match. We train and we match skills. Um, we work with technology companies. My background, uh, I, I'm a lawyer. I mean, I am an immigrant, sort of immigrant, because I was working well, I was born in the US. But I live all my life in Chile, and I, 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 I moved here to go to law school. I worked in the non-for-profit world, but I worked most of my early careers as a lawyer in the private sector and the public sector. And then I decided to go into entrepreneurship and became a tech entrepreneur um, in, in basically 2012. 
and I had a first company that was a social media platform for Latinos. That's where I met Josh. He was one of my early users <laughs> we met on the platform, in fact. And um, he was living, he wanted to go back to Boston. And most of our community at the time was from Boston. That's how I met you. And then, and then um, that company be, uh, was transformed, but I created a new company as well, Breakersome. And I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur, but also a lawyer. And, uh, we help, in this case, we help software engineers, computer science majors uh, work on their skills interviews and pass the interview. And that, that's kind of the work. Similar to Josh, but maybe more early on. Um, yeah. David. I'm, uh, I'm really pumped to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered to be a part of this group. Um, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, my name is David Dalmasantias. Uh, I am the executive director and founder of an organization in Boston called Resilient Coders. Uh, we are a very competitive, uh, nonprofit, stipended coding bootcamp. Um, what we do is we, we accept a, a limited group of folks. Most of them don't have college degrees. 100% uh, of them are people of color, often low-income backgrounds. Pull them into the program uh, and then rake them through a borderline sadistic 20-week curriculum and at the end of that, we connect them with, uh, with jobs as software engineers here in Boston. Um, my background before that, I was saying earlier that I'm, I'm blessed to have grown up. I grew up in a Spanish-speaking home. I'm Latino. I grew up with, with uh, immigrant parents who happen to be very historically conscious uh, and, and who taught me early on um, to, uh, to question what I was learning, to question the narrative that I was being fed. Um, the first moment uh, when this happened is when I came home and I told my parents, I learned about the Mexican-American War. And they were like, what Mexican-American War? The land grab, like a gunpoint, that war? And then from there, I sort of haven't stopped. Um, so the reason we run Resilient Coders is uh, for one very explicit reason. We are very concerned about the economic wellness of our Black and Latinx communities in Eastern Massachusetts. Uh, we, have a, uh, we have devastating inequalities in this region. I was mentioning uh, earlier to this panel that um, the uh, median household net worth of a black family in this region is eight, eight dollars, not eight thousand, eight dollars. For Dominicanos, it is zero dollars. The median household net worth of a white family in the same region is $247,500. Now that's a problem. I would say that is a crisis um, on, which that we, on which we have to be uh, putting our attention. Uh, and so that is, uh, that's the one thing that we, that we obsess over, uh, resilient coders and our reason for existence. Listen, one, very grateful for all of you doing the work that you're doing, because as I mentioned earlier, when we're getting ready for this session, the work you do systemically directly impacts the people that are not only, I'm sure that you all are related to, your friends, your family, um, I'm related to my friends, my family, and people that are listening, not only for the sake of learning how to solve the problems within the tech industry that's creating this issue, but probably so they can feel represented. Um, I don't think it's often that many people see tech executives that look like us. Um, I actually just saw somebody post on LinkedIn recently, a man by the name of Brian Zhu, that there's more CEOs in the Fortune 100 named John or Mike, maybe Matt, than there is black and brown executives in the Fortune 100. Um, and then to back that up a little bit, right, because a good majority of those companies are tech companies, right? Um, I just saw a stat recently that said there was 4.6 million job postings for tech roles um, in the United States. And if you compare that to the fact that Google has 5.6% uh, Latino employees and 3.7% Black employees, um, you start to see how real this conversation is beyond us trying to feel good, right? There's direct impact to every community's um, health and wellness, especially when there's that disparity in place. Uh, so the conversation is not a light one. It's a very important one. I think a lot of people around the world are starting to wake up to it, given the protesting that we've experienced. Um, but I feel like we're late. We've been late for how many years? Three, 400, I don't know, like, but, Oh, I might be new to this conversation. So I'm hoping that I can learn from you all your perspective, your views as to why you're doing this work. Especially considering some people will say it's not as lucrative as just go building a software company and making millions of dollars and running away. What is it that keeps you grounded and wanting to solve this specific problem? 
and whatever that means to you. I love that question. Uh, for me, this happens because I am a black woman. I'm from Newark, New Jersey. I am from a community that was sort of left out of this. Um, I, <clears throat> just the personal connection for me is really important, but when we think about how this plays out on a national scale, a community scale, a global scale, I think it's really important to come into this. Uh, and for me, that's been the commitment. You mentioned it would be more lucrative to start a software company. You're absolutely right. And I think for me, it's about responsibility. So you said a lot of people don't see tech execs who look like this regularly, but what is our responsibility, not only to ourselves and to our companies and to our organizations, but to our community. And I think we really have to lean into that. I think that's a sort of shaky conversation, but um, there's a responsibility for us to ensure that the way it looks shifts. That's why we're here. So that's my reason. And um, again, like I've always admired everything you've done, Tiffany, simply because that's been true with every single role that you've taken on from AI for all to Black Girls Code, even back in citizen school. So I know that that thread is consistent, doesn't shake. So you say shaky conversation. I want to I wanna dig, dig deeper on that. I feel like we've talked about it a lot in private, but it'd be great to expand on that here. But David, Andrea, which one of y'all want to answer the question? Why this work? Why not just run away and make, go kick it with Zuckerberg? Um, I, I actually, why this work? Um, Andrea, we can't hear you. I want to make sure we hear you. You can't hear me? Yeah, now, you, now we can. Oh, okay. Um, why this work? I think it's because, for me at least, it's because I, I, mean, like I see talent everywhere. I meet these incredible people and the, what we're doing at what Breakers is very simple. Like, it's not like a ambition. I mean, David and Tiffany, uh, they're doing like something much more radical and like much more ambitious. We're doing something very simple, which is like basically taking um, young, prof young uh, graduates from com with computer science majors from universities across the country and giving them a last mile training. And what we see consistently, consistently, it's just an issue of confidence building. It's a couple more like coding exercises, a couple more in the students that we take at least, you know, which is only a six weeks and it's very group oriented. And it's not like, it's not like a Josh program is very, Josh program is very hands-on, one-on-one. There's a lot of instructors. We're like much more like a, a little bit of a massive program that is organized by group, not so many one-on-one -on -one senior, Engineers, but all what is we will see that even with that level of you know brushing, I mean the the the, the kids the, the self confidence improves incredibly. They perform much better in the interviews. So that, so so for me, it's basically just seeing that 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 talent is just a matter of a little bit of perception polishing. We all need polish. I have needed polishing polishing in my life so many times. And I always got to a next level because there was someone willing to invest in me at some, for some reason at some point. And it's the same thing. It's like we invest in the community because if we, we invest because we believe in them. They're like amazing, the talents. Um, we all need work. No one is like, you know, has finished their work and we're all learning. So, I mean, that, that, that's all. I mean, I don't know. That, makes, that makes me happy as hell to hear you say we all need work and we're still learning. Because there's a lot of people that I meet that, that like, have this attitude of like i'm done i figured it out like go ahead josh you'll figure it out one day it'll come and i'm like <laughs> so it makes me happy to hear you say that <laughs> the reason why I, I don't know i'm still learning i don't know i, I can't talk for the hours but <laughs> that's inspiring because there's some folks that are just like no i figured it out like six years ago you'll get there but like so it makes i want me to meet them can you introduce me please <laughs> i want to meet no, those well, people. we need to pay for access to them um but anyways David, you're, um, what's the reason why? I'm glad. I'm, so why is the only question that matters, right? And I, I think that we have a crisis of why in a certain degree in, in, in tech, which is that I speak to too many people over the course of the day whose, whose why is the product they build, right? You, you, you build a team so that you can build a product and drive revenue. We've got it wrong. We got to build a product so that we have the opportunity 
the privilege uh, to, to, uh, to surround ourselves with good people, right? Because I, I believe that what you build, what you code matters a lot less than who you build it with. I think the impact of the code that we write is less than the impact of who we write it with, who it is that we choose to bring with us down that journey, who it is that we choose to bring on with us down this pathway to prosperity, uh, and who we choose not to bring with us down this pathway to prosperity. And so if I could, if I had a magic wand, I would start with this question of why, and I would revert the issue of why that we see in tech. You'd also make me cry with that magic wand. Um, thank you, <laughs> that's exactly it. But um, I, I wanted to back up and get it. It's perfect time to segue to the next question. Um, I know I mentioned statistics around black and brown representation in the tech industry and just in the US labor market in general. Um, and you know, I'm kind of doing one of these to myself because the conversation is around diversifying tech, um, which again, I mentioned problematic for me that word diversity because it gives a lot of people this like feeling in the tech industry of being ostracized without even opening like your mouth, right? Um, and so a lot of times at Alco in specific, we train on using the word balance over diversity. But one thing to mention in that is it's beyond black and brown representation, although that's a very important part of the conversation. There's LGBTQIA, there's the gender imbalance. Um, so we're talking specifically about the sexism that runs rampant in tech and also ableism, which is I think part of the conversation that a lot of people forget to, to um, consider, uh, myself included. I, for sure, there's times I take for granted that I can walk and talk and have hands and do whatever I please physically um, with balance. Uh, but to me, I, I guess the question is, what does diversity mean to you in the tech industry? How do you perceive it to be um, something that needs to be fixed before we dive into solutions? Just give me some context. What, do, what are we saying when we talk about diversifying the tech pipeline? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on my big fat opinion real quick. Yeah, please, please, please don't make me cry. Go ahead. Uh, I'm a, I believe that diversity is a vehicle towards equity, right? And so if we're not, if we don't have the ultimate goal of recalibrating power dynamics, what are we doing, right? I, I believe that diversity without an eye on the recalibration of power is called marketing. Wait, I don't know if I can swear on this, but yes. <laughs> um, yes. And I think that's a big fear for all of us in the world today, right? When we talk about the protesting that happened. Um, due to the death of George Floyd, but like also beyond that, just the systemic oppression that exists in the United States. We fear there's a lot of corporate marketing that has been reimagined, re-engineered, re-imagineered if you were at Disney to say we are safe, but are they, right? Like, so that, Andrea, Tiffany, please weigh in. I wanna... Yeah, I mean, I'll let Tiffany first. Um... Yeah, I am with that 100%, David. It's about power. Uh, I think for me, Josh, that's why the word diversity is a bit upsetting because it, the, these conversations, um, I feel like they're mostly focused on how do we get quote unquote diverse talent to break into tech, right? That is always the direction of these conversations. And I think the reality is, is that the talent exists, right? You just said that there were how many jobs? 4.6 million jobs posted? So it's not about a lack of access or a lack of talent. Like there's no talent shortage. Um, I do believe, I would love to see these conversations really move towards the audience members being hiring managers and VPs and CEOs and those people saying, we're going to commit to 5,000 of your students. We're going to commit to 10,000 alumni from Resilient Coders. We're going to commit to 7,000 outco participants. We're gonna to commit to X number uh, because that's the starting place, right? I think the word quota gets such a bad rap. I come from college admissions. And so, you know, talking about enrollment, it was always, yeah, we want to diversify our student body, but we don't want to talk about quotas. Right. Well, right. if we don't start somewhere, we're not going to get there, right? So it's a matter of saying, if you want parity, 
or if you want 50-50, right, let's talk about gender, you want 50-50, you have to do something intentional with your recruitment process. And I think it's the same in tech. Honestly, I'm tired of talking around the issue, right? I think it's really time to say, stand behind your Black Lives Matter posts. Stand right. behind these statements that you've made, and this is how you stand behind it with numbers. Right. Oh man, yeah, 100%. Like, right, everything else is about data. Right? Everything else in the world is about data. If the product is broken, the data says we should fix it tomorrow. But hiring data almost doesn't really exist. Though. The same way some people are like, I don't really see color. I mean, unless you got black and white goggles on. But, <laughs> Andrea. No, I, I am with you guys, and we, that's what we have built at Wild Breakers is data. That's all we have, like, that's what we specialize. So we have a data set, right? Give to companies to train their data sets, and it's an unbiased data set. That's, a, that's what we have built, like, so that it's all based on data and outputs. And, but I have to agree with Tiffany, like, I, I, I was... All these people, all of us that work in diversity and, and like trying to make changes, like you get like hopeful because you know, you, ah, you're like, oh, the companies are seeing, okay, finally they got it. And then you realize it's like, it's just a, but I always like, is it a headline or is it true? Is it a headline or is it true? Like you never know really if it's a headline or it's true. I think companies, I'm seeing companies right now doing a little bit more of dramatic changes to like, for example, incorporate. Uh, recruiting under equity, like in Salesforce, putting all recruiting under equity. Um, it must just be because Tony Profit has more power than the recruiting my personal Salesforce. I have no idea, but um, but there's a there's some companies doing efforts to like reorganize and like tie results uh, to anything to performance to. To, to bonuses more, they're more of a corporate social responsibility, like metrics, maybe ESG will have to have those things, like ESG investments. But as long as these are not part of like a board, you know, um, you know, part of like a, a, a board um, requirement, like for a company and that has to be on the, on the financials at the end of the year, I don't see where exactly, why would they just do it so, it has to be legal, which is not, like there's no requirement, the regulation about it. In fact, the Supreme Court is getting away with affirmative action. So there's, if anything, there's nothing for affirmative action in the near future, it's gonna be worse for affirmative action. So, right, so there's no affirmative action. That will be like, so at the corporate level, the only thing will be like incentive structures in the, in the financials uh, of the company to make it, um, to make it part of the, you know, of the financials at the end that are presented to a board. I, I, I don't know. I, I, Holding people accountable financially. Right. really makes people want to change behavior. I just don't know otherwise how would that work. If not, there's no real reason for any company to do anything at the end of the day. I want well, to throw out there, I want to lob an, an idea. I'm a, I'm a big believer in organizing. Um, and in, in my experience with Resilient, um, uh, companies don't, you're right under that, Com companies don't just like wake up one day and like leadership is like, yeah, we got to hire differently. Um, uh, but what we have, we, what we have experienced is uh, empowered employees uh, who find each other uh, and approach uh, their leadership together uh, and say, this matters to me deeply. Uh, and so we expect you to produce um, KPIs, key performance indicators around the way that we hire. Uh, I have, to a certain degree, I have lost, I've lost my faith in um, almost every tier of government right now. Um, I have lost my faith in uh, corporatism uh, and, and sort of corporate leaders just waking up one day thinking differently. Uh, and I think that our best bet is um, organizing engineers who demand change. I spoke to, a, I spoke to somebody this week who said that um, his colleagues, um, organized and created a petition and essentially held their leadership accountable to changing the way they hire. Um, I think there's, I think there's potential in, in that model personally. I, oh, sorry. Um, you know, Josh, I never got to find my faith in corporate I want to, work government. 
Um, so I appreciate you mentioning that. So there's there's someone in the chat right now, Mike Anister, um, that wrote something that 100% relates to this conversation that brings up this point around referrals. Because David, you're mentioning organizing and a friend finding a friend, right? Um, so I don't know if y'all, if in your experience, Tiffany, Andrea, David, you've you come across this, but like, I for sure have been accused of nepotism many times, right? Like, Josh, you only bring your friends in or your family. Um, and you know, that hurts, right? Especially when you wanna do good work um, and be recognized for doing good work. But then, you know, it's, I'm kind of challenged because as a recruiter, I've been trained in the power of a referral network. And 76% of all hiring happens through a referral network, right? This is hard data, hard stats. So it's funny because when someone accuses me of nepotism, I'm like, what do you mean? There's like nepotism at scale when you think about tech, right? The first white dude that refers another white dude, then we have all white dudes that work in tech. 76% um, of them came by way of family members. How do we defend ourselves if we're outside of the industry from that accusation when what we're trying to do is get the people that we connect with in our communities to be part of this? I mean, I imagine that you all experience this in your organizations as well. I would like to answer that question first because I actually had this question from a com from someone this week, where I was trying to explain to them well breakers and the, and and the companies and how they do the hiring and so they, they you know they do the hiring by referrals, and he said ah so referrals are, are bad for diversity so he said, and I was like actually no I don't think so, because what we do is that we expand the network and we just refer from more places and more people, but it's still referral it's still a referral system right. So I think the referral in itself, the system of refer the, the method of referring is, is a good system. It's just that it has to be more democratic. It has to be uh, not referring from the same company, the same universities that, you know, the 10 engineers are, you know, whatever, the 10, 10 universities those engineers come from, but like instead like from hopefully 80 universities or, you know, from code for boot camps from like everything. So referrals in itself is not bad. It's just uh, as everything is how you apply it or you execute it. Not, not it's how people get hired. Yeah, it's how people get hired. I hear you because the people referring typically come from the same homogenous group. Um, so to that, Andrea, there was, there was a training I did once for a company and I asked the people in the training how many black or brown people, how many women, LGBTQIA folks they hang out with outside of work to talk about work. And no one can raise their hand because of course they're hanging out with more people like them talking about business creating opportunities for business with more people like them um but i guess it's it's how do we reframe it tiffany i know you're really good at reframing how do we equip each other with language so that we don't get stymied by that i have a lot of people that are just like stop dead in their tracks when they go to refer the truth of the matter is, is that the tech companies have problems accessing good talent and good talent that looks like us. Full stop, right? Um, I think it's both and. It's an internal sort of um, ability to do it and a desire, right? Like, let's be real. Um, and then on the sort of outside of those walls, it is how do we get referred in? Um, Josh, you know this, like the reason I am in tech, the reason I'm in this role is because of referral, right? I think it's because of relationships that we've built because of, um, like when you refer someone, you see that you see potential in them, right? Like you see something that someone else may not see. And I think that's the heart of it, right? Um, I think if we can go back to the financial piece of that, like how imagine, the quote unquote revenue that you're now bringing in because of those referrals. Um, I also really don't like talking about people in terms of money. I think though that this conversation when we're talking about diversity and technology, unfortunately that's where we are. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's really important that the heart of the matter with referrals is that the tech companies are having problems really accessing this talent. There are those of us who are already in the space. And again, going back to our responsibility, I do think it makes sense for us to really refer the folks we know for the roles that are open and available. I hear you on referring to people in terms of money, right? Like we get into this creepy territory where we 
we assume this HR role for our entire lives. We think of people in terms of resources and then we're like, time is money, so everybody is a thing versus a person that we can extend grace and empathy to. Um, I think that brings me to David, right? I would love to hear your thoughts on this idea of referrals and how to combat this narrative around nepotism. But I don't want to let go, Tiffany, what you mentioned, because I think it talks about health in this conversation. But go ahead, David, sorry. I mean, I just want to upvote the three of you. I don't have anything productive to add. I think you all nailed it. Well, what do you think about health in this conversation? What's the role that it plays? Right, we're talking about diversifying the tech pipeline, not looking at each other in terms of dollars, but having to- health. Sorry, what do, you, what do you mean by health? Meaning not dehumanizing each other in the process, right? Because the tech industry is known for that. A light question for the day. We could get to jokes after this. Wait, can, can we? Oh, yeah, I'm like, this is like a tough one. Oh my God. Like, I need to go, like, meditate around. Like, can you give me half an hour to answer? Well, I'm glad that we're even struggling. I'm glad we're struggling with these because these are questions that I guarantee a lot of people in the I chat. Will let, I will let David or Tiffany answer first. <laughs> David. <laughs> David, um, <laughs> well, I will be really honest. I am wondering about folks' health, especially in the past couple of weeks with everything that's happening in the world. Well, the past couple of months with COVID and then the past couple of weeks with the uprisings. I think it's really important for folks who are job seeking right now to really make decisions about your dream companies, right? So if Facebook was your dream company, is that really a company you're trying to work with right now? Are you really on that Zuckerberg bandwagon? It's cool if you are, but really thinking about what that may do to health. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't often have these conversations at the intersection of health. Um, I'll speak for myself, uh, coming into this role being a new ED, right, leading an organization that's committed to this work, this equity work, it has been exhausting. It's been heavy. It's been tiring. I've cried so many tears. And um, at the end of the day, you have to show up. And so I think really having conversations with yourself about like, how are you going to show up for you first? Um, in the middle of trying to live and survive and do really important work, like what does that look like? And I think there's a certain um, unacknowledged tax that comes with this diversity and equity work and being one of the only, right? Um, I said this to somebody the other week, I've been a token since I was 14, right? And that's because of the schools that I had the opportunity to get bused to. Um, that takes a toll on us. So what type of life do you want to live and like how are you going to take care of yourself um, in turn and i think that's something that is often not brought into this conversation so i appreciate you for bringing that up well i think i think it's like we we are responsible for getting folks in the pipeline pipeline right which y'all know i think is a problematic term because we're not like things that you throw into like we're not plumbers um so i like how you said pathways earlier to but i guess it's what do we think the corporations need to do to take care of the people that they invite into their environment that is almost designed to hurt us. How do companies keep black and brown employees? How do companies keep the LGBTQIA community committed to the work they're doing? Women that are often one of 10, 10 people in the room, right? Um, and then even again, back to the conversation on differently abled folks, what do companies need to consider about us? that they're not right now to keep us around. I think, these, I think these are some of the questions for which diversity matters in the first place. Um, it's kind of a, I guess in some sense, kind of a chicken and egg situation in that regard. Um, I've heard, it dis I've heard this, this issue described as a snowball. Like you, you're, gonna, you're rolling a snowball down a hill, right? And so if, if you are uh, hiring the same homogenous group of people over and over again, you are rolling that snowball down a hill. And if you wanna stop and you wanna go in the other direction, you have a very hard, you have very hard work ahead of you. You have to roll it back up the hill 
and down the other way, right? Um, and so I talk to a lot of people who say, well, I, you know, we don't really have time. They find a polite way to tell me that they don't have time to think about diversity right now um, because they're, they're in startup mode as though, as though those things were like mutually exclusive. Oh. That's the thing that people like say and then get on with their day. Um, oh my God. And, and so I, I have to use this snowball analogy a lot and tell them like, it's going to, it's going to get very hard later. And so I would, I think the right time to think about it is like at the very, very, very beginning. Um, so that you don't have to encounter this question of like, what do you do when you are 99% white dudes and people of color don't want to work there because you're 99% white dudes and you don't have a particularly accepting culture and I, like pipeline programs like Resilient Coders don't feel super excited about grabbing our alumni by the ankles and throwing them into these spaces. Um, like at that point, it's kind of like, I don't know, like I guess you can start pushing that snowball back up the hill, but you got to start from a deficit at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying you got to do it at the beginning or you're basically going to have the hardest time of your life trying to be successful with your product and fix the people problem that you created inherently. Andrea, what do you, what do you think? What do we have to do? Oh, that is heavy. I, I mean, it's a heavy topic. I, I, I do think that the only thing that we can do, so we, I mean, I am, I'm a leader have become, because I've been a fighter most of my life, but I'm like, I feel like it doesn't really work. I'm not in that mode anymore. Like, I think us are doing it and I'm not now in the time of my life that I'm not a fighter. Like, I'm, I already changed my role. And my role now is um, more like changing myself and, and, and sort of like uh, working with us to change themselves. So the only thing that I think we can do is change ourselves and be super um, love basic i'm gonna say something might sound very cheesy but like build the self-confidence that we are enough every person that we train that we teach that we you know they are good enough that they should know that they're good enough they're good enough as it is that they're an add-on to any company they they go to so it's really not their problem i mean that you know they're gonna face challenges but um they're enough so that it, when these problems come, they will not take them personally. They will know that they are, those are systemic issues. This is part of the system, why the system as a whole is not working. I mean, it's not a wonder that, you know, the social unrest, it's not a wonder that it's this protest on police brutality, it's no wonder that people dying are, you know, black and Latinos with, with the COVID. And all is no wonder, it's just a system. It's a system dynamic, like the dynamic dynamics of all the system to all the iterations of the system are so, the only thing that you can change to have a balancing loop on that system dynamics is really do something I think is about is personal, personal change. And so we can teach our, our students, our candidates about self-worth and that, that, I mean, I, sound, I, sound, I might sound a little bit Hare Krishna by saying this, but I'm like trying to, I don't, I don't know if we can change a company so that they become inclusive because I don't know if you can do that. Like, is it really possible? Uh, I, hear you. I hear you. Um, I'm going to keep fighting, by the way, but I hear you. No, uh, great. I am so happy that you, are, that it you do it. It takes two, you're saying. It takes us being able to care for ourselves in a way where we can stomach the pain that we're going to be accepting because I think that's something that's not talked about um, that I've, I'm sure all of y'all have experienced. I know when I got the tech, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Do, 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 racism, sexism, oh shit, oh my God, oh my God. Like, this sucks. <laughs> like, and at some point you gotta take care of yourself to keep going. I hear that 100%. Um, but I guess just like systemically, there's a leader listening right now. What is it that they can change about themselves um, that'll make a ripple, even if it's small? Oh, yeah. what, you were, what David was saying, like systemically, like, if they can like change within the company, you know, if they can organize to like ask for the leadership, if the, the leadership is not giving them what they want, if they can organize, that to me systemic change within the company, you know, like, and that is a ripple effects because that, you know, it's all like that. Um, well, here's one, here's one question concrete too that I think we, it'll be interesting to get all our perspectives on. Um, from Bedia Ramirez, um, Bedia Ramirez, uh, what are your thoughts on culture fit? Um, and is it a good way to assess hiring? <laughs> um, I'm going to give y'all mine later, but that's a really good question, Padilla. Thank
thank you. I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name. Um, if I am, please write it in the chat. But Tiffany seems like you want to take a crack at it. Culture fit. I wanted to go back to really quickly what you were saying, Andrea, and then David. I think it's a multi-pronged approach. Like it's definitely an internal, like how do you get your engineers organizing to make demands of leadership? Uh, Andrea, what you said about making sure the self-confidence is there and making sure that you are prepared and ready to go. Uh, I think it's the third sort of prong for me is um, getting companies like David, you mentioned what Resilient Coders is doing, like your mission is to set them up with jobs, not internships, not apprenticeships, right? That's the ultimate goal. And so I think those three prongs in themselves are pretty radical. Um, in terms of culture fit. Uh, Just gonna say, I'm gonna throw this out there, fucking hate the term, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, so, I think culture fit has been used against uh, bringing uh, folks who have different perspectives into a space. Um, I'm gonna take it from the job seekers perspective too, thinking about whether or not a company or an organization is a culture fit for you. Um, I really wanna talk about this conversation in an empowering mode. So the same way you're going in and interviewing, like are these the colleagues you want to connect with? Um, there are stories about sort of getting to your dream organization and then you end up there and two weeks later, you're like, mm, was this the best decision? So I think culture fit is something that has been used against. Um, against folks who are underrepresented in this space uh, at the same time figure like how do we use that for ourselves as well and figuring out okay here are the companies that feel like good culture fits for me where i will work here and feel like um, my t integrity is still intact um, but it's complicated i get how it pushes us out but i also think that it can be um, an empowering tool if you're thinking about it for the space for you? How do you find a space that is a culture fit for you? Uh, I, I would add that I like everything you said. I would add that mm, I, when I think of culture fit, I also see us like looking at the values of the company. So like if you can, I'm just this, and I'm gonna be super like transactional here for recruiting purposes and for like getting your foot on the door. So I do think Culture fit is a thing, and, and it's a thing that you, do you align with the company, do you align with the, you might not, and you, your life will be held. But there's something about getting your foot in the door and the first job, and I would pretty much would get to, like, as a law, for example, in a law firm, I was interviewing for law firms, and I was like, I would, one of the, I wanted to get into one of the 10 top, top 10, and whoever made me an offer, I was going to go in. Like, I don't care what culture fit I had, I didn't have, I don't care. Like, I'm going to get my, my foot in the door. So, okay. So let's assume that like this is after you get your food in the dogs. It's important to get it. Then the question is like the value. So maybe you have the luxury of deciding, you know, these values are more, but like for, for you to like learn the values of the company and, and see whether those values are real, like ask, you know, people around if those values are, are whatever they say they are. It's very helpful, I think. Um, and also it makes you look very good in the interview. You know the values very well and you can articulate and, uh, and you interview the company about their values. That will be very, very, um, um, but in that sense, I think could be helpful because I mean, I do think that different companies with different values and you might fit better with one, um, but it's true, your first job, you just want to get the first good job. I mean, let's be realistic, I mean. And then moving forward, you want to understand. Yeah. Value the organization. I mean, I just want to be, I mean, it's probably like. I hear you. Um, to me, I think uh, culture fit is something that blinds us from the fact that we're talking about work and this is supposed to be performance based. Um, something that I've preached since getting introduced to HR and tech has been performance based hiring. I almost rather you not interview and see a work sample for a month before you interview, which also could be problematic because people should get paid for that work sample, but it's something we do at Alco, which is we pay you for a month. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, move on. Um, so to me, I wonder, David, like what other solutions do you feel companies can adopt to move past this need for, do I like this person or not? Which, right, if, if I'm a white dude, I'm gonna feel most comfortable with someone I've either grew up with, close with, have had exposure to, which in many 
cases leaves a lot of us out. I mean, in the West Coast, every time I said I was Dominican, people were like, what? And I was like, I couldn't get used to that. Like, it hurts still, but go ahead, David. Yeah, I think, uh, once again, I agree with everything that's been said. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, I'm a big fan of the term um, values fit over culture fit. Um, but at the end of the day, we're mammals, you know? Um, and so, like, we're still not going to hire somebody we don't like. Um, and so half, half of me is like, yeah, like, let's engage in this conversation around, like, uh, values fit. Somebody in the comments said, like, culture ad, like, absolutely. And then the other half is like, no one who is hiring is going to sit there and be like, yeah, he's not a culture fit, but he might be a values fit. Let's hire him anyways. You know, like, I, I feel like we're we're kind of a shitty species. We're going we're gonna to find a way to hire who we want to hire. And then we're going to justify it. Accepting that reality becomes really empowering. I mean, that we talk about that at Alco. Literally, we're like, culture fit just means would they get drunk with you or not? And like, majority of tech industry, it's 100% true. Yeah, I mean, culture, culture fit is just a word that we invented in which we can stuff our, our biases in a way that is legally permissible. Like, I think we all, I think we're on the same page with the term culture. Said it. You said it. Oof. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So that way, when they have an audit, you can just say, well, those. 3,000 black and brown folks wearing a culture fit. Um, so hopefully for the leaders that are listening, um, especially you tech leaders, I hope you can write this down. That's something to interrogate coming from um, three tech executives that work with communities that will diversify our pipelines. I hope we can also interrogate the idea of pipelines and also diversifying. Um, but. There's one last thing I really wanted to let in the movement um, is listening to uh, you all expand on this idea of being a DNI expert. So we get to diversity and inclusion, like master level, and then there's expert level. So how do y'all get to DNI expert level, and what does that mean? Also, how do we get to expert level? Because I think I'm at DNI junior by way of the fact that I'm not white or a male. <laughs> I'm joking, but like, I don't know if that disqualifies me, but like, um, I am a male, by the way. Uh, DNI expert, what does that mean to you all? How do people, how do people continue to broaden their scope of awareness on the conversation and, and dig deeper in learning how to show up? Uh, so I, first of all, I am absolutely not an expert uh, on DNI, DENI, DINB, I'm not at all. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge believer in equity. Um, I, and again, I think my, my lens is diversity is a vehicle towards equity. Um, let's, let's make diverse, like, let's make the word diversity itself obsolete in 10 years, right? Like, because, because everybody has an equity, not equal, but equitable access to, to the prosperity that we've been able to build in our cities. Um, so that's kind of my lens. Um, and I think if there's one thing that can be done out there is just approach this, um, especially, for, especially for white allies, like approach this work um, with the assumption that you've, you've made, like with the expectation that you've made some assumptions and that many of them are wrong. Um, and that uh, it's important to start by listening before, uh, before imparting wisdom, I think. Um. I, uh, Tiffany, I don't know if you want to go. I mean, I think uh, you know, the expert, uh, you know what, I do feel like I'm an expert in one sense, like I have created programs that I know how to attract people from underrepresented backgrounds to come. And so in that sense, I'm an expert now. Did I study that? No, it's my intuition because I am one of them. We're one of, you know, I understand like sort of like intuitively what is needed. And I, I don't know if I, you know, and so I, because of that, I've learned a lot. Like even this discussion about like um, referrals, right? I mean, I would be very confident in saying the referral problem is not the issue. It's mostly like how is, how big is the network of your referrals and things like that. Like, I'm very, because we see it happen. 
So I think that, yes, I'm an expert uh, by practicing, not by, you know, what maybe has to do with what I'm a lawyer. And so there was something about that that drew me to this field of diversity. A lot of lawyers are from, they come from the civil rights, but I, I didn't, that was not my area of practice, but maybe there was something there. Um, I want to, I want diversity and inclusion to be not diversity and inclusion anymore. I want it to be under um, the, a, a business function of the of the company. I want it to be with corporate social responsibility, diversity and inclusion, um, and something else like part of a core, like, I don't know, like something really, really important within the company. I don't know what the department will be called, but it's We'll just yeah. call it finance, the new diversity of the prime minister. Right, finance. maybe that's it. Maybe we're asset building. I, I call it like, I don't know, like not blow your up, you know, I don't know. But but that that department or risk management, I don't even know, like, but like that department will be corporate social responsibility, diversity, and it will be powerful and super powerful and had a lot of budget. And one important thing you will have is that all these people in companies that are like in charge of partnerships, where those are the best people and doing communities, that, then they have no budget. And so they cannot execute in any of the partnerships that they come and bring to a company because they have to convince one by one. And it's like almost like they don't have any power. I will give tons of budget to partnership that they can handle and execute on themselves. Um, yeah, so that's, those are my ideas on diversity and inclusion, but yeah. It needs to change. It needs to, it, it, the, the whole field needs to re, re change immediately. Tiffany? I also, I agree with you, Andrea, and also David. I am both not an expert and an expert. Um, what I mean by that is uh, my life experiences, the work that I've done for the past 15 years professionally would deem me a professional expert. I'm sure there are people on this call right now who are also DEI experts, right? And I think it's important to really figure out what your lane is and then really occupy that. So get good at that. Um, and for me, my lane has been education, training, and workforce development. Uh, I think that cross sectors, right? Right now, the sector happens to be technology. Um, the sector may be something else in a few years, who knows? Um, but I really want to, yeah, double click on the word expert. Um, who is that? What does that mean? Um, and for me, having an expertise in something is having an experience in it. Um, having an expertise in something also entails some sense of power. Um, and I want to bring that back up. I know, David, you started the conversation about diversity being sort of the ultimate goal, being about shifting power. Uh, and how do we look at equity in that way? Um, how do we look at this word expert, right, in that way? As experts on this call, we all have power. We all have privilege, and because of that, um, what is our responsibility moving forward? So, yeah, I'll claim the term, and I'm also not going to claim the term. I have no attachment to it, uh, but I think in reality, we have to figure out what we are all experts at and really figure out how to move that forward for our careers. Well said. Um, relate to all of that. I'm far from a DNI expert. I actually have no formal training in diversity and inclusion. I do recruiting. I do learning and development. I just happen to be a culturally ambiguous brown dude that people can't understand what the, that is Dominican. Uh, but uh, I'm happy to have learned from the three of you in this combo. And it excites me that y'all are doing the work, uh, we like to say, in the community every single day. Um, Brazilian coders is making a huge impact um, in Massachusetts in terms of being able to create access to technology for folks that probably will never see um, the software that dominates majority of their life. Andrea, the work that you've been doing with Be Visible Latina, not to wall breakers, um, being able to connect people that are right at the finish line and get them over um, is exciting because that's probably the number one place where folks are knocked off, especially when you talk about tech, um, given the fact that black and, black and brown women are the most educated people um, in the United States, if not the world. Um, and Tiffany hacked the hood, right? Doing two things at once, which is serving the community, but also getting people prepared for solving real world problems. And by people, we mean the folks that are actively excluded 
from opportunity with tech industry. So I feel really lucky to just be able to ask you all questions. Thank you for holding the space for my questions. I know they're very heavy. Um, not really. <laughs> Y'all in this space all day. I think for other people it could be. Um, there's plenty of people to mention that should be here in this room and can contribute to this conversation, um, which under to your point, we're all learning from every single day. Folks uh, that I think of immediately is people like Minda Hartz with her book, The Memo. Um, you have folks like Rachel Williams leading the Moonshot Factory um, in a DNI capacity. Um, we have uh, Angela Kyoto Williams who wrote the book Being Black, but also recently Radical Dharma that has touched a lot of people's lives in terms of being able to understand the inherent isms that exist um, for us and then create problems like the tech industry. I know y'all know some more people if you want to name them for the chat or the Q&A. We got Lily Gangas, right? Um, Aubrey Blanche, uh, Jabu Dayton, a big fearless leader in the tech industry. Anybody that you all want to mention? No? Names? She listed our people. <laughs> You're listing our people. <laughs> Harris Athena says Jaisha in the chat. That's a, she's an alumna of ours actually. Yeah, who built the Black Tech Pipeline. Yeah, so yeah. About the pipeline problem. There's someone that built a specific solution. That is um, awesome. Oh, before I get fired from my job. So people that are listening, if you want to learn more about Alco, uh, join us for an info session. If you're interested, the poll just popped up. Um, we have three options, Monday, 7 p.m., Tuesday, 5 p.m., Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. And these info sessions walk through the um, whole of the program, understanding that we're a four-week program and accelerator to getting jobs as a software engineer. Tiffany, what did you mention? I have two people that I put down. Um, these two women are just stars in the artificial intelligence and data science space, but Timnit Jerbu and Joy Bualim Limwi. Um, they both are Black women who have done uh, AI research. And also just recently, IBM decided not to do um, or utilize facial recognition software. And it is based on the research that two Black women started. Uh, and from this report that they um, I, I want to read them. 17 and 2018. So their names are there. Definitely check them out. Thank you. Anyone else? I, I, want to, I want to give you a shout out, Josh and Christina and Rich and the Outco team, because I, 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 I do something similar but different, okay? And I want to tell the people listening that having a training program with one-on-one -on -one sessions, with one-on-one -on -one instruction is an incredible investment. And it, it's something that will pay off a hundred times its, its investment because um, because basically it is kind of the most important predictor of uh, uh, passing an interview and, and, and getting to a next level. So I do believe, and I know the people behind Outco, and so obviously Josh, but I mean, it, it's very rigorous and it's very, so I think that that, that service is something very, very uh, needed. So from my perspective, we do something similar, but more massive. This is very like, hands-on, one-on-one, and I think um, if, if I was in the job market, I would definitely invest, uh, I would, because I've seen it, like how it makes, I would try to get into wall breakers too, but that, you know, but those are <laughs> they're different, like I would do both, I'm not really not kidding you, like if it was entry entry level, I would try to get into wall breakers, and if I don't get a job immediately after that, I would get into like, no, I'm not. And if I'm a little bit more more mid-level or anything, I will get, I will try to get into outcore like ASAP. But yeah, that, that I think, that's my opinion, so. I think there's something to be said for all of us being able to connect these efforts. And I, I'm, again, I'm glad that we're getting there because it starts at kindergarten, right? Systemic oppression is present the moment that we're born. Um, even being born seems to be like something that is a challenge with the current state of affairs. Um, well, I appreciate y'all and your time. I'm going to follow up with all of you individually. David, I'm glad that we finally get to meet. Andrea, I'm happy I'm here. It's been too long. Tiffany, I promise you next time we plan to connect, I will be able to show up. I, and I Why appreciate it. Why are you so public? Why are you so public? 
I, I keep it a thousand. I mean, I'm in my bedroom with this, right? Like, we're it's COVID. Like <laughs> you can see the posters on my wall and the books I'm reading. Um, but I think it's one last thing. Is there anything that you all want to leave people with it for educational material to continue? You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Everybody's enough. I'm enough. Everybody's enough. That will be my. enough. You are all more than enough, says Karen in the chat. Um, all right, y'all. Well, appreciate you. I'm going to do one last plug on the info session. Make sure people sign up and thank you all for the time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.